I want to wrap up this morning a lot of what we talked about. I, I always hesitate talking about something too long, though that is my pattern. Um, I, I, but I do, I, I sometimes learn as much in the review as I do in the actual stuff itself. And so I want to spend just a few moments uh, this morning kind of recovering what we've learned about sheep to shepherd. Hans Christian Andersen uh, told a story uh, about an emperor who was proud and he loved to wear fancy clothes. And he come to town one day was a, was a huckster. There was a charlatan uh, who heard of the emperor's desire to wear the most pompous clothes. And so he pretended, John, am I telling this right? Perfect. I worried about you, man, when I did this. You want to come up here and do this? Suffer then, man. This is... So he pretended that he was making the emperor clothes when in fact he wasn't. When the emperor showed up, there was nothing on the looms. And the charlatan simply said, no, there's clothes here, but you can't see them. Only, only the wise, the intelligent people can see the clothes that I'm making, but the fools, uh, the, those who lack knowledge, the simpletons, they can't see these things. Well, not wanting to appear a fool, the emperor just obliges. And each time people would step in and look at the looms and there was nothing on them. Um, they felt the same thing. They didn't see anything, but they didn't want to appear like a fool. And so they didn't say anything until finally the time came for the emperor to wear these clothes. And he paraded himself down the city street in what he presumed were magical clothes. And everyone was in awe as they were supposed to be, wise and intelligent ones, until there was one boy, something like a holy fool, who noticed what the adults had missed. Clothes were not beautiful at all. In fact, there were no clothes at all. The emperor was stark naked. Not, you're wondering where I'm going with this. <laughs> I thought of that last month when some of you recommended that I read Peter Weiner's article in the Atlantic, The Evangelical Church is Breaking Apart. I thought of that story when some of you recommended a few months ago that I listen to CT's podcast on Mars Hill, the story of a church in Seattle, large church that was now imploding because of charges against the former pastor. In fact, I've thought about that parable many times over the last few years as I've watched what is happening to the church at large. And I've wondered if some of the principles were not in play. I've wondered if there was all along no clothes on the emperor. But there was nobody, well, not enough with the nerve to say so. And now that it is evident to the rest of the country the shape that the church is in, it is our day of reckoning. And so I want to spend just a few moments. Um, I'll try to keep it light, like all of my stuff. <laughs> but if I can, I want to address what some have called 
the division of the church. Wayner says that there has come into the church today uh, what he calls an aggressive, um, uh, disruptive, critical, and unforgiving spirit that we've practiced in our politics and then brought that with us into the congregations across the country. Ministers find themselves every Sunday, they are again this morning, in congregations that are fracturing in front of them into warring different factions or groups. We are, as ministers, not prepared for this. Nothing we've learned has prepared us for this moment. We couldn't possibly be. These are arguably among the hardest days to be a leader of anything. There is a divisiveness. There is a suspicion toward anyone in leadership. There is a militancy, a deep-seated anger. The gospel is becoming more political. The Bible is becoming weaponized. The church is acquiescing slowly to the culture. And you might expect that there's a lot of reasons for this, and each person points them out. According to the various reports, some are saying that this is... um, This is a failure of discipleship. We have not catechized the next generation. Some are saying, no, the problem is that we have idolized politics. Some are saying, no, it is that the church has been shaped by angry white males. Some are saying, no, the problem is that we have lost our moral center, our revealed authority, and so we have fractured into visions of God's revelation that we have made ourselves. There's lots of reasons for this. And I suppose they're all plausible. At least they all make sense to me. But it wasn't until I was reading in Ezekiel 34, I started to find language for what was already in my heart, but I didn't know how to say. And so this morning, I want to tell the story of Ezekiel and give you what I think would be his language to what is happening in the nation and what is happening in the church. To summarize what the great prophet said would be something like this. There has arisen in our day a different kind of leader. By all appearances, they are as good and as qualified as any previous leader. But there is something off. There is something underneath that we can't put our finger on. That's either broken or absent, and we don't know what it is. The language that Ezekiel uses for these leaders shepherds. He says the problem with his nation is the problem with its faith. And the problem with its faith is the problem with the shepherds. And the problem with the shepherds is that there is something in their soul that is leaning in the wrong direction. 
Ezekiel was a contemporary of Jeremiah as far as we know, probably familiar with Jeremiah's sermons, Jeremiah's metaphors, Jeremiah's language in Jeremiah 3 and 23, where he says the day is coming when God will raise up shepherds after his own heart. He will place shepherds over his people and they will care for his people and his people will no longer be afraid, nor will any of them be missing. Ezekiel is probably familiar with that language. He was taken captive in 598 B.C. by the Babylonians, hauled off to a foreign land, maybe 900 miles away. Twelve years later, in 586 B.C., when the city of Jerusalem finally fell, the Babylonians rushed to the city, they broke down the wall, they set the streets on fire, they killed or abolished the priesthood. They vacated the throne of David. Everything Israel stood for was gone. The nation was coming apart. Splintered, broken, divisive, polarized. A man got out alive and went maybe 900 miles until he found Ezekiel and he reported the news. And when Ezekiel heard it, he said in Ezekiel 33, my mouth was opened and I was no longer silent. And then he started to talk. And what he said to Israel is that what had happened to them was largely their own fault. The nation had become apostate and the leaders had failed them. Israel, of course, resisted. They said, after all of this suffering that we're enduring, how can you look at people suffering and say, this is your fault? And Ezekiel said, you are suffering. This is still your fault. What follows then in Ezekiel 34 is a contrast between two kinds of leaders. One are bad shepherds and another kind is a good shepherd. Well, the one I've called charlatans, like the one making the clothes. A charlatan, you will remember, is a huckster. It's a fake. It's anyone who pretends to be what they are not in order to gain an advantage, usually money, but not always. Sometimes they want status. They want position, popularity. They want notification, want people to see them. So they pretend to be what they are not in order to get it. There's one more disclaimer. Not all charlatans know they are charlatans. No one admits to the label. So you never find them by asking them, hey, I'm just curious, are you a charlatan or a shepherd? <laughs> that, that's what I thought. You have to watch and see what they are doing to know where they are. So 
I put on the screens, we've divided the screens. I'm coming on the main floor and I know some of you are worried you're gonna put your mask on in a minute. I'm sorry, I gotta do this. I gotta teach with my back to you. <clears throat> By the way, I've had my shots. <clears throat> Used to say that about my dog, he's had his shots. I still bite, but I've had my <laughs> On the one side, the charlatans said Ezekiel are egotistical. I don't like the word. I should have said they are self-absorbed. It's, it's only slightly more flattering. What I'm trying to say is they think mostly of themselves. What the prophet said is they take care only of themselves. They did not search for my flock. They cared for themselves rather than my flock. One of the characteristics of a charlatan is that all of the subject, all of the decisions, all of the debate comes back to them. They are always seeking ways to be in front of people. They hate anonymity. They manage their image or their status constantly. When they are with you, they are always imagining what you're thinking of them. <clears throat> On the other hand, there are shepherds, and they are pastoral. Their first concern is the people that are under their care. I myself, says God, will shepherd and search for my sheep, look after them. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord. If charlatans are always seeking the front of people, Shepherds are always hiding and getting underneath people and finding ways to elevate them. You can almost never see what a shepherd is doing, but you can always see where a shepherd has been because the people around them are better. Two, charlatans are abusive they plunder their people. They exploit their positions. He says they drink the milk. They clothe themselves with the wool. They slaughter the choice animals, but they do not take care of the flock. They rule harshly and brutally. Charlatans are transactional in their relationship with you. They're always after something. They see their sheep as assets. Everything their people have, they think maybe someday I will need it and they can help me. They're just incapable of getting out of themselves and building up the assets of their people. They always think of people's assets as potentially their own. Shepherds, on the other hand, are empowering. They're nourishing. They lead their people to places that are good for them. And they sometimes do this at great cost to themselves. He says, I will tend them in good pasture and on the mountain heights. They will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in a good land. And there they will feed on rich pasture. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. Shepherds live at cost to themselves in order that the people around them can have it better. 
Third contrast, charlatans are indifferent. They insulate themselves from the suffering of the vulnerable. Ezekiel says they have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. They have not brought back the strayed or searched for the lost. And so the sheep have been plundered and have become food for the wild animals. Charlatans gravitate towards people of power and wealth. Shepherds, on the other hand, gravitate towards people of the greatest need. They have a calming, healing presence when they are with their people. They're not controversial figures. They're calming. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. And I will shepherd the flock with justice. When shepherds bring justice, everybody wins. They don't exchange one victim by making another one. Everybody wins. Four. Charlatans are blind. They cannot see what the sheep are doing to each other. It is not enough for you. He said, is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of it with your feet? You shove with flank and shoulder, butting the weak sheep with your horns until you've driven them away. I wish I could make a joke about that, but it isn't funny. They, charlatans victimize people. They insulate themselves from the things that people are doing to each other. Shepherds, on the other hand, are sensitive to these things. They bring structure and order and justice, even at cost to themselves. I will judge between one sheep and another, between rams and goats. I will judge between the fat and the lean. I will save the flock. I will place over them one shepherd and he or she will tend them and I will be their God. Last contrast is number five. Here's the one that rattled me. Charlatans are divisive. They scatter. They polarize. And then they provoke the sheep to attack one another. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares Yahweh. You have scattered my flock and driven them away. That from Jeremiah. And then from Ezekiel, my sheep have wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. Translation, they have wandered from one form of spirituality to another and no one has searched for them. One of the telltale signs 
of a bad shepherd is that they are always critical of other shepherds. They see another shepherd's success as a threat to their own. And so when they see another shepherd doing well, there is always something they catch, something they see that isn't right. But the only thing not right is that that shepherd's not doing it like this one. And that's what bothers them. They drive a wedge between their people and the rest of the flock until they have their people listening to them and now turning on the rest of the flock. It is us against them. That is a bad shepherd. Good shepherds unite. They're inclusive. They gather, even people that are different. And then they empower those people and they unify them and they release them onto the world. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock I will bring them back to pasture. And in Ezekiel, I will gather them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. It sounds a lot like the last couple years. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. I will form a new nation comprised of people from every nation. Class over. If you're like me, when you saw these lists, there were mine, there were names running through your mind. Yeah? It took me about two or three days to detox from all those names. <laughs> Couple observations. First, this is not the language that you're used to hearing. You're used to hearing that the problem with the country is a war between conservatives and progressives, Democrats and Republicans, black and white, uh, capitalists and socialists. This is not the language that the prophet is using. He's trying to give the people of God new language. He's trying to say there is a conflict, but it is not over ideology. It is over the kinds of leaders we are turning to to guide us. Some have bad souls and some have good souls. And what he's alluding to here, people, is not a series of agendas or policies. We have been trained by our culture to think purely in terms of policy. We have been straining at a person's policy while we swallow their character. And the prophet is trying to get us back 
to the character of a person. He's trying to say, remember, the soul of a person matters even more than their policies. For man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. We have been following people simply because of their policies and their agenda. And the prophet is saying, look at the heart. What kind of person is it? You say, well, how do we know these things? Well, look at the lists. Ask yourself, what does this person desire for themselves and for the rest of us? What do they do when they're angry? How do they handle wealth? How do they treat the less fortunate? How do they keep their vows? How does this person suffer? What comes out of this person's mouth? Put those together and you have not behavior, but patterns of behavior that flow out of a person's heart. Look at the heart. You've gone quiet. I think I'm talking to myself again. Man, I wish the election was tomorrow. But I'm kind of glad it's not because this would be accused of being political. But this became for me a good little list to bring in with me the next time I vote, which is leading me to the second thing. Uh, these are not binary options. It's not a person is either a bad shepherd or a good shepherd. This is more of a spectrum. So the question is never, is this person a charlatan or are they a shepherd? The question is something more like, how much of a charlatan is in the person and how much of a shepherd is guiding that person's life. We're looking for degrees. And third and last of all, this is not about our elected officials at all. It's about us. Part of the concern with the church is we have bought the political illusion, which is the illusion that politics can save us. And our gods are dying. Our gods are dying. That's just my opinion. So I came away from this list and I stopped looking at the people we've elected. I've stopped looking at all those other churches and all those other leaders. And I started looking at myself and wondering, mm, man, how much of the charlatan is still in the blood? Where in the shepherd's qualities is my greatest potential for growth? Wayner, uh, 
in his article, he writes several pages. It's longer than one of my sermons. But at the end of it, there's one paragraph, five sentences, where he acknowledges that people have done good things in the name of Christianity and that Christianity as a religion has even shaped his life. While I was glad for that, I was left feeling a little bit hopeless, (laughs) depressed. Can I tell you where I think the hope is lying? Jesus made a statement once. Wait for it. It's in John chapter 10. He said to the Jews, Oh, by the way, I have sheep that are not of this fold. I have people who don't belong to your circle. They don't think like you. They don't act like you. Maybe they don't even like you. But they're my sheep. He said, I must lead them also. They Who will listen to my voice? And then there will be one flock and one shepherd. Oh man, when I read that, the hope started rising in me, you guys. I thought of Jeremiah's language where he says, I, Yahweh, will make shepherds after my own heart. I will place these shepherds over the people and they will care for them and the people will no longer be afraid nor will any of them be missing. And I started thinking, if the church wants to come together again, then it needs a vision that is bigger than the church. The surest sign that an organization is done is that it starts thinking about survival. Church, we must look to the world. It is the world who needs to be shepherded. And it's quite possible if the people of God will rise up as shepherds, each one of us taking responsibility for the people around us. It will be a movement, not that is national, but it is local. It's not some program. It is personal. It starts today. When the waiter comes to your table, that is go time. It will be decentralized. It will be relationally linked. It will not be organized by one person, one church. It will be spread across the nation. And it will be in every nation. God will find his people. He will not be left without a voice. He just won't. Listen to what the prophet says. I myself, he says, will search for the lost. I myself will tend my people. I myself will bind up the sick and heal the wounded and care for the dying. 
I will do this myself. I will discern between the powerful and the oppressed. And it occurred to me, everything Yahweh does, he never does alone. He does it in the company of his people. We are these people. Isn't that good news? You want an answer that is faster, more heroic, so we can get back to what? That is the game. That is winning. Oh man, if we were to do this, if there was ever to be one flock, it would be because there was one shepherd. Not one that we have made after our own image and our own preferences. Not a poster child for some agenda we already have, but one whose words still offend us. And then they set us free. <laughs> we will have to make disciples of that one shepherd again. People that not only believe in Jesus, they actually believe Jesus. And they believe what Jesus believes. We will have to get used to being in the company with, no, reading the scriptures with people who don't agree with us. Whose opinions are totally different than ours. But their love for Jesus is exactly the same. Well, how could they, how could they come? Well, how did you? Oh, man, I want to be in this, don't you? This is bigger than us. Once we can get past this question of how do we save the church and get to the bigger question of how does the church shepherd the world, we will save the church or he will. <laughs>